Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast. This is episode nine with your hosts, Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. And joining us today is... Kate Earls, AirSafe Contracting Company. Hey, Kate. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, how was your weekend? Oh, it's the... Oh, it's, it's what, Monday. What is it, Monday? Yeah. It was Cinco wow. de Mayo. Did you do anything? Um, what did I do? No, no. Just geared up for Game of Thrones and then oh, watched yes. it. You watch Game of Thrones, Mark? Oh, yes. See, Ray, you, I know you're big into it. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't. Did watch you it. see the scandal today? There was yes. a Starbucks coffee in uh, Winterfell. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, some of my buddies have been texting. I didn't even know what that meant. So apparently Daenerys Targaryen is uh, the mother of pumpkin spice. <laughs> That's right. What, was it like mistakenly not taken out of a scene? Yeah. I have some sympathy for them. I heard it was like negative 10 degrees while they were shooting at night. And uh, yeah. they only had two years. You know, they figured it was so yeah. so dimly lit, especially after the week before <laughs> that episode. <laughs> no one right. would see it. Right. Yeah, I had to watch that last episode. That that one, The Battle, I had to watch that a couple times. Because oh, it was yeah. very dark. I heard it's been, I heard it was really dark. Like you could barely see. Couldn't see anything, but it brought in the most number of viewers that HBO's ever had for a single episode, like wow. 17 plus million. Cool. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty epic though. It was, cool. it was cool. Yeah. So Kate, what are you guys working on right now? So we have a uh, two unit project in Newton that is about halfway, maybe 75% done. And then we are doing a seven unit in uh, East Boston, in Marginal Street. What are the price points like in Newton? I feel like they're they're uh, flatlining a little bit right yeah. now in Newton. What's your like app, your overall numbers on on your two units there? We're going to market them for just under two million each. Nice. Yeah. What, what part of Newton? It's West Newton Hill. It's nice. a gray area of Newton. Um, I was lucky. I got the only house. It was a single family house, but it was the only one on the street that was uh, MR1 zoned. So it was uh, for, appropriate for two units with a half acre lot. And everything in Newton, is is it an as of right project? There's no variances, right? You can't just go to Board of Appeals and say, I'd like, you know, <sighs> relief have, for. Yeah. they. You know what? They have a lot of um, of things that are special permit that they call special permit instead of a variance, but it's a similar process. Really? Like in other towns, a special permit might only be, you know, three months or something. But in Newton, it's it's a, it's a year and it's about our meetings. And did you have to go through that process? I did not. No, I was as of right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I tried so how to, long is the as of right process if you just submit your plans and they approve it? What happened to us here was we, you have to put your engineering in first and then they approve the engineering and then you go to the plan examiner. And while my project was being approved at engineering, they were changing their interpretation of what you could do with garages in a, in a duplex. So oh, wow. we had two two-car garage, like it was one of those where you have a unit and then you have two two-car garages next to each other and then another unit. They decided you couldn't do that. You had to have living space between them. So it, it cost me like two months. Really? You had to rework a, all your plans and everything? We had to go back and rework some things, and we had to go back into engineering again. So typically, when you, when you submit is very critical. So I have a recent example of a project that was right on the cusp of a flood plan. And I you know, was all over my team to try to get these plans in for fear that it would change. Plans submitted, not in a flood plan. Throughout the duration of the project, boom, it was in. And... 
you know, it was all about when the plans went into the timing. department. But and just for people who don't know, Newton is a town just west of the city of Boston. I think we heard something in Somerville, which is a little north of Boston, um, right over the Charles River there. They were telling us, because they've been talking about this for, seems like a decade now, changing their zoning. And they said it doesn't matter when your plans were submitted. So it's the opposite of what you were just describing, Mark. It's when your building permit is issued. So if mm-hmm. you're going through this whole special permit process and everything's fine, then all of a sudden they change it. You might have to go through it if you don't have that building permit in hand. And you could even be through that whole process. And then all you're waiting on is literally just the, the you know, the plans examiner to stamp it and they could, they could screw you. Well, like, yeah, I, that actually happened to me in Somerville. Yes. So, yes. Wow. I take okay, it back. So. Wow. <laughs> well, is it, it's town specific, right? Well, boss, I've always understood that if there is a code update coming, for example, like the seismic codes were going to become more stringent. It's all about when you first applied. But well, when we submitted well, when we submitted M Street, it was yeah. it was right before iPod, and we were rushing to get it in before iPod because well, yeah, true. It's really tough to give general advice at all when it comes to <laughs> right. zoning and. And how building departments like well, we, some- Yeah, we, we were the victims of a spot zone change. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, tell, tell us about it, that. Yeah. So what, I, what my takeaway, you know, long-term takeaway was I should swim upstream more often. I mean, downstream, I should swim with the flow, not, you know. But it was Union Square, right? I mean, literally one block from where the green line's going in. And I thought it was such a great opportunity. It was NB zoned and it was a really dilapidated single family. So we bought it. And we had a three unit we could do by right. We could um, do two FAR by right. And it was just, we, and we came up with this great design. It was a little modern. Everything was very, you know, not so awesome on the street. Really old kind of slapped up old houses, you know, because there's some beautiful Victorians in Somerville, but these weren't them. But the neighborhood just was against us from the get-go and they have an architectural commission that you can, you know, have to go before. And I didn't realize how zealous they were about preserving everything. So that was lesson number one, right? I had never been in Somerville before. So I just thought, oh, you know, I'm just going to do this and too bad for them. Well, I had a demo delay put on me. While my demo delay was on and I was working on my plans, they changed the zone and they changed the zone on me just for that street. The day I... Submitted my plans. Do you think that was discrimination? I mean, I don't want to put that out there if you don't want oh. to put it out there, but do you think that was something that was done intentionally? To target uh, your project? Oh, wait. I, there were only five houses on the street. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Wow, very political. And then I had to go back and kind of with my tail between my legs and, and come up with another thing and beg them to let me, you know. I, it, was a, it was hard. It was hard. It sounds like you do projects pretty much not anywhere, but within certain mm-hmm. geographic area or, or or do you like to stick to certain towns? What's your kind of bread and butter in terms of location? Um, I really like Boston. I've done a lot of projects in Boston and Newton and Brookline. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like around Boston generally. I, I look for, I look for tea stops, train stations. I look for something that's, you know, a great commute for people. So, so do you want to just kind of back up and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into this uh, endeavor we call real estate? <laughs> <laughs> I married into it. So my husband is the contractor and I am the developer. That's like we're a team. Nice. So we do our own general contracting, which is nice because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
I know what's going on. And How he often knows do you get mad on. at your general contractor? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Yeah. A lot. Well, because he's, you know, he's very focused on what he's doing and he's very, very good at what he does. I am the, the design person, right? And so we are sometimes combating each other on that, right? Because, you know, just marginal, for example, those are very design specific projects with a lot of things that are not typical on a building where you really have to source things like we had that big metal piece on the front. I mean, that had to all be welded together. Originally, it was supposed to be core 10 steel. It was like a big ticket item This as is well. your seven unit project in East Boston that's uh, going on at the moment or no, the previous phase? No, this is phase? Two, 2.0, we okay. call it. So yeah, now you're marginal building, 2.0. I like it. These, yeah. are, these are really cool buildings in East Boston that Kate did. Uh, the third phase is going on now, but these were some, the phase one was definitely sort of the first condo project in Eastie, to, in my eyes, that proved out that you could successfully build ground out condominium. It sold for like $500 a foot at the time mm-hmm. and everyone what year, was, what year was blown this? away. This, I think four years ago. Five, I didn't do that one. Five, you were in phase one. No, I wasn't phase two one. And three. That okay. was a woman too though. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, I was, I was phase two and I'm two and three now. How'd you get into phase two and three when someone else had done one already? You know, I think she was a little gun shy after she did it. Oh, really? um, it wasn't in her wheelhouse regularly. She did commercial stuff with her fa- with her father. And uh, she did this. I mean, she did a great job. Mm-hmm. And it was really innovative. I just discovered it by chance on Google Maps. I was <laughs> like, what the hell is this? And I like, you know, put my little man down on the street. I was like, oh, this is so this is so awesome. And then, you know, a couple months later, the actually a lot further down on marginal came on the market and I bid on that and I didn't get it. Um, and then this one came on and I didn't get that one at first either. But then I got a call saying the first one fell through and did I want it? And I was like, yes, I do. It seems like the design of the buildings is sort of like a transitional industrial type look. Is mm-hmm. that what the neighborhood was? Was that the intention of the design? The design was to riff off of the um, shipyard and kind of get that, that feel so that you are kind of transitioning. The fight that we had with 3.0 was the fact that we were now five buildings down from the shipyard, and therefore, did we have the right to do that anymore? Or should we not just be a wooden three-floor, you know, box? Bo- right. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's hard because, you know, you do have people that are just used to what they like. And I am a huge architecture junkie. I love all different kinds of architecture. So... I was really excited to change the streetscape. Nice. Yeah. Now, is your is your kind of design aesthetic lean more modern or traditional or both, or, or does it? I do both. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I do both. I've done um, back bay um, units that are very traditional with all the crown molding and mm-hmm. falderall that nice. goes along with it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. There's only so many developers yeah. out there, it seems, or developers doing stuff. So we all kind of get to know each other and right. it's a fun right. little community. Well, how long have you been developing? Developing, we kind of started in the late 90s doing some stuff. My husband's from Ireland, as is, you know, half the developers in Boston, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's from Galway. And his father was a developer as well and did some big stuff like hotels and, and whatnot. And um, so, you know, like a typical son, he said he was never going to do that, right? But he ended up coming here um, illegally, 
in 80, 85. I don't know. We made some comment last night, something like, oh, I've been here for 34 years. So it must have been 85. And um, just kind of started doing, you know, stuff, you know, whatever, you know, just getting working. a van. Yeah. Right, right. Whatever, whatever he could do. But, that, you know, we started that way. And then we got into lead abatement back uh, in 1989 when it first started to be uh, a concern. And we were DKIM certified. So we did um, Old Colony. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we did all, you know, we would bid on projects um, and then do a little general contracting on the side. Do you was, still do that today? No, stuff, no, no. I mean, there's only so much lead. It's kind of like a finite thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. True. When did you start getting more into the development stuff? We started getting more into the development stuff. It was in Boston when my oldest went to Northeastern and I said, what's this cost for a dorm? Let's, you know, for God's sakes, let's go buy something. So we started looking and then I ended up buying a brownstone on Appleton Street. And we went into it with, well, you know, he'll live in the middle unit and we'll sell the other ones. And then as I got into it, I'm like, He's not going to live here mm. <laughs> ever. Yeah. Do you still have that property on Appleton? No, I'll no. Be, I'll bet you wish you did. I know. <laughs> the South End growth has been oh. incredible. I know. I know it has. Yeah, we did. We, and we bought those for under a million dollars. We bought one on Columbus too for nine fifty. How many units? That one, both of them were three units. Yeah, we did three That's units. That's crazy. Yeah. The one on Columbus was fun. It was the Allen Rohan Crate House. So he had lived there. Uh, he was an artist, um, an African-American artist. He had lived there his whole life. So he was like 96. And um, at, at the opening day, like we had Mayor Menino come and we had this big jazz, this, you know, because he had so many friends in the community. We had this jazz guy come. I don't know. He's famous. I don't know who he is though. But it was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And we had all, because he, he was an artist. Like you can see some of his stuff in the, um, I think most of his stuff is in Chicago. It's cool. Interesting. That is really cool. It's like a market that you couldn't mess up if you tried. If the longer it took you to finish your brownstone conversion, the better you did. It took you two and a half years to finish. You just earned another fifteen percent. That market in the past fifteen years has just gone berserk. It was. T- it's tough though now, don't you think? Because at the time, because things are so expensive now, to you know, you make your money on the buy, right? That you used to be able to say to yourself, "Ah, so what if it, you know." we should upscale this or we should spend a little more on that because we're going to get it back. But now I'm not sure. No, it's a conversation I'm really interested in. We pass on a lot of brownstones now, but to me, they're priced to perfection. They're like a blue chip stock. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what's going to come out of the oven once you follow the recipe of all the ingredients. It's going to be $1,500 a square foot. It's going to cost you why to build it because everyone's done so many and there's very little to differentiate the pr- right. product. It's right. difficult that way. And there's a limited, I mean, there's a limited number of brownstones. There are, you're not, you're it's not like lead bu- paint now. Yeah, it's, you're not yeah, building any more of them. Nope. You know, and, uh, they're not letting you take them down. Right. So like, you, right. they're priced to perfection. Yeah. I mean, we're the, a shell of a building in the South End, you can figure seven, even to $800 a square foot. Add $300 a foot for a really high-end construction mm-hmm. and soft costs. And where's your profit? It's pretty difficult. I know. I know it is hard, and it's it's one of those things that I have a whole bunch of stuff on watch now, mm-hmm. waiting for the price change. Yeah. yeah. Are you buying a lot of your stuff on MLS, or where are you sourcing a lot of your deals? You know, MLS. I've never gotten a good off market deal. You know, the funny thing is, I looked at one of my larger projects, which was two brownstones in, on, on Marlboro Street in the Back Bay. 
off market and I made him an offer. He turned me down. Four years later, I ended up buying it for $4 million more (laughs) 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 than, than my original offer. How'd it go? Still make money? Oh, yeah. Nice. Have oh, you, yeah. Have you ever lost money on a project? I have uh, come very close. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good answer. There was a project in Newton that we did. Um, it was a single family. There was an, an offer that was accepted, and it was at this couple. They were kind of wacky. And he made a cash offer, um, no contingencies, but then he wouldn't close, and he wouldn't close, and he wouldn't close, and he wouldn't close. And so finally, we, you know, I had to have my attorney send him a letter. We ended up getting part of his deposit. But, you know, by that time, it was the middle of winter. It feels like we're coming up to the next top of the market, right? And if not, we're, if not, we're not already there. If we're not already there. The three of us here have not gone through an 06 through 08 type scenario or, mm-hmm. or period. I assume that you've gone through that period. What was it or like? Mul- multiple. If you started in the 90s, right? You've gone through multiple yeah. yeah I, how many well, cycles have at, you gone through? Yeah. At, at that time, I had my other business to, to fall back on. Okay. Um, so in 08, I was super lucky to have cash on hand, okay? I mean, I could have not been so lucky. We kind of have the, I think, Mark, you like to ask this question, luck or, or skill, right? So was that just pure luck or did you sort of see things were a little bubbly? That was pure luck. Pure luck. Did I'm you, not going to Did lie. you have projects in the going on? No, no, we had finished one. It, it, it didn't sell for a while. It was a single family, very pricey for, for the neighborhood it was in too. And we didn't have any anything for a while. And then one day, I mean, this is how real estate works, right? One day, we had two cash offers. Oh, it's amazing. Weird. We, we had a property in the South End. It was a Friday. It had been on market for a hundred and something days. And we called the broker and said, we, we're going to do a price reduction. We're, we're going to do something significant towards six figures. And he said, give me one more open house. And he held it through the weekend and we got a full price offer. So yep. random. But it's like pulling it's like pulling the slot, uh, right. you know, in Vegas. Right. Sometimes just the right buyer walks in at the right moment and it says something to them, speaks to them and boom, full we price were, offer. It was, I mean, M Street, M Street for us was the same way. I mean, we were we were very nervous about that project and how we were going to unload it. And guy that lived in the neighborhood fell absolutely head over heels for the, the property, for his family, and he wanted to buy it as a single family. And it just worked out yeah, that randomly. One, that one was luck too. He yeah. knew mm-hmm. our zoning attorney. Success, success can be a terrible teacher though. You know, that in the back of your mind, oh, that South End property that sold, keep keep the price, keep going. Oh. You know, at a certain right. point, you're holding that thing for a number of months and you should have taken, but hey. Hindsight. Yeah. Hindsight's yeah. always. It's difficult. It's tough business. So, it it yeah. is. It is a tough business. Yeah. You, you really have to, I don't know. I'm really just hoping this podcast takes off. <laughs> it's my, uh, it's my your interest rates go up. I'm going to be moved down the Is this, is this yeah. your passive income stream? Because well, we right now a, it's a loss. Well, we can't, <laughs> well, we can't do a project for two years. We'll just be do, pumping out podcasts. That's what we'll do. <laughs> if Kate will be good enough to join us, people listen. I know. I'll have nothing to do too. So I'll be, I'll be here. <laughs> so your husband is a GC. So do you get, what are your build costs on your projects? It's interesting because I'm always curious as right. to someone that's actually you doing know, it, doing it, you know, versus are you getting it? Are you getting stuff done at cost, or do you actually are you paying for it? 
I mean, our subcontractors don't work for us. So, you know, and you know that you can get three prices and they could be so wildly different that you're like, are you guys looking at the same plans? (laughs) Sometimes we've seen people provide us bids and they just put an astronomically high number because they don't want to do it or they're too busy. And if they do get it, jackpot, right? Right. Call call that the no thank you price. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I have three slices of pizza in front of me. I don't really need the fourth, but if you want me to, you know, so it's it's a high. We're having subs turn us down now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for for work, saying they're too busy and they can't fit us into their schedule, even though we're probably like 30 to 45 days out. Right. Right. I mean, I think that that's actually a courtesy. Yeah. I mean, don't waste your time to walk the site and send you drawings and go back and forth. Just tell me up front, hey, I appreciate it. Right. Yeah. The alternative is worse. Uh, yeah, no, I've had the alternative where a guy the day before he was supposed to start mm-hmm. called me up and said, I can't do it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah. That yeah. Really helps. Are you specifically set up to, as a sort of GC operation so you can plug and play certain pieces? Do you find that you're changing a lot of the chess pieces on the board? Yeah. So over the past couple of years, we've discovered that our biggest expense is site work. And that is one of those things that can be all over the place. And it's just like, I, I, I don't, you know, what, what is their profit? Is it, is it like 500%? It's, it's insane. I and, would, yeah. Yeah, as a developer, have a side business that just does site and utility work for <laughs> that mm-hmm. exact reason. Yeah. I can't make any logical sense about site prices that I get. As an estimator, I can take off the linear foot of sewage pipe and then count the number of utilities. Get out of here. It's just the mm-hmm. numbers are, put your finger in the air and see where the And I feel blowing. like there's only a certain number of site contractors that are actually like bonded with the city of Boston that can do work and dig in the street of the city of Boston. So it's, it's like they right. have the relationships with BWSC and the city and, and public you, And works they're the and, only ones who can open a GSA. I yep. went down and I was like, just let me open the GSA. For GSA God's sake. is the uh, like permit with the water company just for people. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like it's being held over your head, you know, that, because you can't get an occupancy cert until that thing's closed out. Right. So anyway, we bought an excavator. Cool. No kidding. Yeah. So really? you do your own demo and site work now. Um, he's digging the foundations anyway. I mean, we're we're working our way into the other stuff. We'll get nice. there. When we're- Are the permit <laughs> fees really ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars? Like we're being told for all of this street work. <laughs> Is no. that something we can? No. No. You can you can find all that out. It's open book. I'm sure it is. But yeah. I, I like to trust people. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Trust but verify. Yeah. Trust that's but that's verify. a Ronald Reagan right there. There you go. All right. Good. <laughs> Getting all the presidents. <laughs> we got a question, Kate. What is some advice you might have uh, for women who are trying to get into this space? Into into real estate. Into real estate. Has it been tough? Is there? It's obviously a pretty male dominated. For the most part, no. I haven't had any problems. There's a lot of swearing that I feel com- very comfortable <laughs> doing that, you know, I wouldn't have, my mother would be, you know, not too <laughs> happy with. But no, I, I haven't had a bad experience. Is there mis- a little misogyny sometimes? Yeah. But, you know, as women, we're used to that, sadly. I think sadly. It, it probably helps that you sign the checks too. That's true. That's true. Mm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I mean, I haven't had, for the most part, I mean, like your your generation, no. It's more the old guys. Yeah. They can be I feel like, they can be tough. I feel like, you know, in general, you might have the advantage, right? So you're going there and who's gonna yell at a woman, you know? Like the the guys will yell at each other, but right. you're not gonna start screaming at 
I don't know. Or I'm sure you've been screamed friction. at a number of times. M- more, more by um, butters than, yeah. <laughs> than the other. My biggest learning curve, and I think anybody will will have this, is when you first start out, you're embarrassed not to ask a question and you pretend you know the answer. Just Don't ask, worry, we do the same thing. Just, yeah, but now, now I'm just like, I just ask the question. That's you know? great advice. Yeah. I feel the same. So many times we said, what if we just asked about it and we would have known? Like, I just asked the question about the permit. I could have just looked it up and asked, but. Right. Well, I, you know, I think that everybody thinks everyone else was born knowing that. You know, but no, no. And a lot of the guys I meet on site, I mean, to be honest with you, I know I'm smarter than them. So <laughs> nice. right away, I'm just like, oh, all right. You know, (laughs) people also like to share the knowledge that they've accumulated. And if you ask and you show a genuine interest, they'll put their tools down and take time out of their day to explain exactly, you know, how this return is working and why this is uh, an an option, which is better than the alternative, which you might be proposing. Mm -hmm. I mean, so going back, what, like, what are your typical build costs for new construction in say Eastie or even ground up? Yeah. Ground up. I estimate, depending on finish level, yeah. 225, 250 a square okay. foot. And mm-hmm. what about a rehab? Do you guys do, let's say you're going into a gut renovation, also mm-hmm. exclude South End, Back Bay, Beacon Hill. Where do you typically sort of pencil things out? Yeah, again, it really depends. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Back Bay is tough because, again, it w- I would do the 225 to 250 a yeah. square foot. I would go north of that in those neighborhoods, mm-hmm. certainly. I usually find like a gut reno and more of like an East Boston Maybe Dorchester figure about 180 to 190 a foot. Yeah, well, safe. I think we're like one. What, yeah, we're between 175 and 200, and that's yeah. the thing. There's so mm-hmm. much cost parity happening because new construction, it, it, it's all going in. And it's either an empty site or just a quick teardown, hopefully. But with a reno, you got to tear it out meticulously by hand, right? And then put it back together. Who knows how much reframing you're going to do? At the end of the day, it's almost easier to right. have your construction. You're, you're underpinning. You're digging down. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of that work is just is very labor intensive. It's so. funny. We yeah. we gut reno to try and take a lot of the questions and unknowns out, and yet they still find their way in every once in a while. I think you were referring to that with the underpinning there, Dan. Oh, the un- yeah, yeah. We just did that in Brookline to get to get a a bottom unit to have two two levels with the underpinning. Yeah, to get the ceiling height. Yeah, and you and you have to carry all that out by hand. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's no getting machine in there. Well, somebody just died in our office next to us there. <laughs> <laughs> somebody just <laughs> flopped over and didn't want to. <laughs> I'm excited. We're going to be having um, our two structural engineers on next week. And we're going to talk about underpinning and all sorts of different structural considerations. Well, that should be fun. Yeah. yeah. Excited. <laughs> just a quick aside for anybody wondering what underpinning is. It's when you have to dig, as we're talking about, digging down to add ceiling height because there are minimum ceiling heights you need for livable space. Underpinning is the process of extending your foundation down so that it's structurally sound. And it is a blast to do. And mm-hmm. Kate, as you also mm-hmm. mentioned, digging by hand and taking it out by hand, our guys have literally done it five-gallon bucket by five-gallon bucket for, what, a thousand square foot plate, Dan? Going, going down or two less. to three feet. Two to three feet. So, I mean, quick calculation there, that's like, Two to three thousand cubic feet of soil, and it could either be clay, dirt, rock, and then it costs another ten thousand dollars to dump it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. No you one know wants that's it. The, that's the big that's the big ticket item right there. We go through that a lot now when we're looking at foundation systems. Is go helical piles? Do you over excavate? And traditional knowledge is always oh over excavate. Get down to hard stiff clay and forget helical piles. But 
the costs of getting rid of the soil are just mm-hmm. going up and up. All these landfills are shutting down, and they don't want this urban fill that comes out of Boston. So it's changing the calculus. There's a website. We tried to use it. Dirt.com or mywantyourdirt.com or oh, something really? like yeah. that. Yeah. It actually will come up all these different like subdivisions where people want fill in their subdivision. But, you know, then you got to truck it there. We did a brownfield site in Jamaica Plain and getting rid of that dirt was a fortune. Some of the stuff we were trucking to Canada. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You can't even imagine. Is that because of the processing of the specific toxicities that are in it? Yeah, we pre-characterized the site and we knew which, where the dirty dirt was. And uh, yeah, some of the stuff had to go very far and um, had, there was the very rigorous testing methods. Every time a truck left, you needed a bill of lading to prove every place, everyone who touched it, uh, where it ended up. And fortunately, we got some tax credits to offset some of this pain and the project was still a big success. But uh, it was a big learning lesson. What was the cost wow. on that? I'd have to look it up. I'd be I'd be making it up. I, I, expensive. Expensive. <laughs> I feel Lots like of zeros. I, I feel like once the site is ready and once the found for a new construction project, once the foundation's poured, you can fly after that. Well, the project basically is on autopilot. But but getting to that point seems like you know first you have to get to the permit and that's a battle on its own. Right. Then you have to dig up the site without disturbing the neighbors and keeping everything from collapsing in on itself. <laughs> collapsing on the neighbors' yeah. property. <laughs> um, you know, going through that process and, and then finally get your foundation and you're like, oh okay. This is very familiar. This is easy. Here we go. Frame. Kate, what's your favorite part of the build? Oh, I love. So I, I do all of the um, interior architecturals. So seeing all that come together, tile and kitchens. Yeah, that's my that's my big thing. Any design trends you're particularly excited about now? Some cool stuff going into marginal lofts phase three? Yeah. So five of them are already under agreement. Five hey. or seven. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And how far along? You have, you're not framed up yet. We're not even going to have the foundation board yet. Wow, good for you. Wow. Are you, are you, are you do you market your stuff yourself or do you have a broker? So right now it's my daughter-in-law, but I will say that the success of Marginal 2.0 really made this one be very easy because a lot of people already were familiar with the product and the location. I mean, the view is unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. I believe I was checking out the website, your architect's website, and it was saying that, at least on 1.0, the, the goal was to always, was to have every unit have a water view. And I, yeah. I assume that you upheld that for 2.0. We did for 2.0. We can't do that for 3.0 because we are a long, narrow building, but everybody has a roof deck. Cool. Yes. Separate, so. Separately deeded? Yes. I think oh, my wow. doctor bought one of your units there. Oh, is it Harry? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 He's just, he looked at my, he goes, You live in East Boston. Do you happen to know Kate Earls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know. It's actually from Marina. It's oh, good. Marina. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's an interesting site. Let's see. What design trends? Satin brass. Nice. Satin brass is a huge one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, navy blue. Some would argue um, it might be reaching the, the, the peak. Satin brass? No, navy blue. Oh, navy blue. Well, I, I, it looks good with satin brass. I agree. It looks great with satin brass. <laughs> yeah. We're doing that in a couple projects too. So those are... Yeah, what about right. matte black? Have you been doing a lot of matte black? You know, I'm, I'm doing that in Newton actually. I got these great lily cement tiles for the floor that look like 3D hologram. They're, oh, nice. they're black, gray, and white. But the squares, when they put, they're put together, they're very cool. So that's the floor. And then I got a black vanity from Restoration Hardware. And then I'm doing... Matte black throughout for the 
for the fixtures. That's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. We just did a bunch of cement floor tiles at our last project. And one tip is seal them and then seal them again. Really? Yeah. Are they porous? They are porous. And if you use a dark grout, uh, you need to seal them before you grout and be cognizant of what what Ooh. grout you use. So I'll send you some links offline. Thank you very much for that. No. That wouldn't have been fun <laughs> to find that out. <laughs> um, What's the biggest project you've done? Money-wise was the Marlboro Street project. We did the, so we broke through, uh, we bought two brownstones next to each other and we broke through and made big floor plates with direct elevator access. And we have uh, tons of parking. It used to be a dental office. So there was tons of parking in the back. It grossed, I don't know, 16 million, I think. Wow. Yeah. How many number, what's the biggest in terms of number of units that you've done or square footage wise, real (sighs) square footage? We haven't done anything larger than seven units. Yeah. I love yeah. I love the double wide model of that brownstone build. The mm-hmm. one thing, the most important factor of an acquisition to me is the width of the structure. Yeah. If you go on Appleton Street and you find a 16-foot brownstone, I don't care what you do with the interior finishes. It will never feel rich. It's that width where mm-hmm. you get the big windows and the space feels generous and proportioned and uh Right. All the difference. That double wide must be exquisite. It was awesome. We had actually, we had Julian Edelman come through with Tom Brady. It was like very exciting (laughs) to look at the penthouse unit. And my realtors were like, no. His realtor came back and said, you know, would you guys consider, you know, dropping the price a little bit and he'll give up one of the parking spots that he would get. And, um, And I was like, I was like, yes. And they were like, no, no one wants a party boy, playboy on the roof. <laughs> was this for Edelman or, or Brady? It was for Edelman. Uh, he just brought Tom with him to look at it, <laughs> nice. to give him some advice. Yeah. That's cool. Did you meet him? Were you there? I wasn't there. They came at five o'clock. That's pretty impressive. They actually came in person too. Did their agent scope it out ahead of time? He, say this was the second time. Yeah. Yeah. This was the second time. We that, had Gronk's brother look at a project recently. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's is it the, really one, cool that was, it was the one that was on Shark Tank? I, I can't tell you, but they did ask a lot of questions about soundproofing. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> you have to ter- make that really soundproof. A few layers I of concrete know. there. Hey, what was it like putting an elevator in, like retrofitting an elevator in an old brownstone? I've done it a couple of times. And it's, it's, that's talk about sound. Yeah, yeah. that's tough. That's mm-hmm. tough because it turns into an echo chamber in there. You really have to have a lot of material around that shaft. So, so what kind of elevator is it? Because I know there's many different styles. It's obviously not one with a counterweight. Is it an electrically powered? What I don't even know what they call them because uh, we haven't done one yet. But yeah, where there's an engine room. Mm-hmm. So, there's, there, so there's one that you can get where it has like a pulley on the on the roof, and then there's one where it's what hydraulic. Yes. I think an hydraulic elevator. Both the ones we did were hydraulic. One was a personal elevator, so it was only going to one unit. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So what I did was, this was another Marlboro Street project. I bought a unit where we did a lower duplex, and then we did an upper triplex. And the upper triplex had the elevator because I really wanted to have the kitchen on the top floor. But, you know, there was a lot of vibration. We had to put these steel poles going, you know, going down through the other person's unit, and then it ended up you know, that there was some vibration coming down. I had to solve that vibration problem. There's always something, right? Always. One other cool elevator option, if you're ever uh, looking, is a Lula. Limited use, limited access. 
and it doesn't need to comply with all of the other very stringent standards. It's considered more of a residential application. There are certain limitations. It can only travel up to 35 feet, um, so it doesn't fit every need, but it's far less expensive and easier to install. Does it take up a smaller footprint as well? It does. Yeah. yeah. How's, how, what, so what size? A Lula might be, it certainly doesn't need to fit a stretcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think like four feet by five feet. I think that's four by that, four. that's similar to what we yeah. installed at 289. Cool. Do you yeah. need like a separate engine or room for it? Or? No, that's another very big thing. It doesn't need like a whole elevator machine room. They're pretty effective. How many projects are you typically doing at a time? Usually we are starting one in the middle of one and finishing one. So, you know, we try to have that kind of a, a thing. It's, it's tough. I mean, right now... Um, we're just in the middle of one and starting one. And I haven't started to look for a new one yet other than, well, I look. So I, I analyze about two hours every day, usually at night. I sit down with my laptop and just go through and, and, and say, okay, this, you know, let's analyze this deal and let's analyze this deal. Are these deals that are being emailed to you or you have MLS? MLS. And, and you're sorting and filtering for single families in certain neighborhoods. What do you sort of look for? Um, oh God, I start with single families, mm-hmm. but I see what the opportunities are. Because mm-hmm. sometimes like my Newton project, it's a single family in a multi-zone. And then you're looking at the zoning. So you might Google mm-hmm. like Boston zoning viewer and then dig into the... Oh, I love Boston zoning viewer. Yeah, oh too. my God, I love that thing. It <laughs> Table, is so. Yeah. Don't you wish every town had that? So good. It's so hard. Like Cambridge, you have to go to their map and it's so hard to read it. And, and you have like, to zoom in really, yes, really, really To far. figure out what street, yeah. <laughs> and some of them, they don't even label the streets. So I then know. you have to like correlate it to Google Maps. Don't do that. You have to put them side by <laughs> yeah. side. You're like, yeah. where is that? That's why I love Boston because you can, you know, but I don't want to get stuck on Boston. So I, I look at everything. Um, I think I'm stuck on Boston and I definitely think it's an Achilles heel. Like right now it's great, but my, you know, I'm kind of limited. I'd be a fish out of water, even in Newton. So at some point, and I'm sure you had a similar challenge at some point is just taking the leap to go into a different municipality and figure it out. And figure it out. Right. Right. Because you, you, right. Because people know other people there and they've, they know the ins and outs already. And then you come in and a lot of times I, I always say, my ignorance sometimes is my saving grace. Because if I had known all that stuff, I wouldn't have gone, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, we've gone into some other municipalities and, you know, we're we're used to going through the Bo- city of Boston zoning process and the city of Boston, you know, permitting, permitting process. Mm-hmm. And so we come in and we submit stuff and it's like, it's all digital. And then three days later, they're like, your permit's ready to be picked up. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> you think it's right. You think they're wrong. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> You're doing the right, this is the right. I think you the- called the wrong Dan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing because we'll hear people say, oh, this town is so hard to work in. We're like, well, we're going. And then this happens and we go, well, I don't know what you did to annoy them, but it was easy for us. Yeah, it, I think it all depends on what you're your baseline is because if your baseline is is dealing with the hardest then obviously everything else is going to be right i almost feel like people just don't like dealing with paperwork which i I wouldn't say anybody does i i don't envy it being the paperwork person myself but right just follow the process you know it's just it's simple enough i think we all do anything to avoid paperwork right (laughs) that's why we're here (laughs) we're avoiding paperwork as we speak (laughs) (laughs) yeah we used to you used to have a blog then you do vlogs now we're just doing podcasts no no typing perfect Right. right How do you? How are you financing your deals, your project? Bank. Bank. Yeah. 
I have um, just recently, I've been listening to Bigger Pockets. Do you guys listen to that p- podcast? We do. Yep. Yeah. So the whole idea of, um, of, of investors, wow, that like really opened my mind <laughs> to possibilities, <laughs> you know? So no, we were just doing it all on our own, which is a little scary because, you know, you're all in. It's like all your poker chips are right there in the middle of the table. But we have this conversation a lot because I typically take the same position as you. And Dan and Ray more often have investors. And when you have investors, it's the, the liability is just the same, though it feels different. Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're in front. How do I put this differently? If things go sideways or south, they're going to get paid back. And you're personally guaranteeing everything to them anyway. So you might feel more liquid, but... It's a trade-off between... Yeah, no, that's very fair. It's a trade-off between ROI as a calculation, right? Which it's a number. It's kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. It's something for people to brag about, to compare, because I could have no money into the deal or a very small amount, and my ROI could be this astronomically high number versus if you're saving what could be fifty dollars or $100,000 on those soft costs, those borrowing costs, your actual proceeds, your pre-tax proceeds are going to be a lot higher, too, by that amount. So it's it's personal preference. Well, it's also about it's Scale. also scalability. Well, that's well. what that's I was going to say, yeah. the scalability. And I, you know, and I, I kind of feel like we missed the boat on that. My husband and I are both control freaks. Yeah. It would be really difficult for us to let go of the reins enough to scale, you know, to any well, degree. we don't give, our investors have absolutely zero say in any of the products. They're, they're no, sh- let go of the reins, if, if I'm not mistaken, means to scale up such that you have five projects going at mm-hmm. once and you, uh, you have to. I physically okay. wouldn't be able yeah. to. Physically, I physically yeah. wouldn't be. I mean, it's hard enough with I, three I feel that. at very different, you know, stages. And, you know, and I'm not a super, um, I'm a creative person, so I'm not super organized. For a long time, I kept everything in my head and it was really great and I could do that. But, you know, not great as you get older. You, you have more and more stuff in your head. Do you have a bookkeeper? I do. Okay. Yeah, do I you, do. Do you allow buyer changes? Oh, that is, um, that is, I am on this, on this project and um, it is. On the, mar- the marginal 3.0. Yeah. When you said keep things in your head, that was immediately where I went. Right. Because those are the hardest to they, track. And they get. are. They are hard. Ray has a spread. Yeah. And do your subs always get the spreadsheet or does it get missed? That's just for finishes. Yeah. Right, right. No, there's always, yeah. I mean, I'm on site. So that's the, that's the thing. I'm on site like two or three times a week going through the project, making sure that, you know, oh, you know, what, what's the store doing here? You know, or what, what's going on here or whatever. And I'm not always welcome <laughs> with <laughs> so those back, comments. Going back to Mark's question, so so what's the scope of what you allow for buyer customizations, especially on a project like this 3.0 where right. you haven't even really gone in the ground very far, right? Right. This is the first time that I am outsourcing the, the kitchen design to, I'm using Divine Design. Okay, um, yeah, nice. Yeah, because usually I do everything and... Um, and then I get proprietary over it, and I don't want anyone to change anything because <laughs> it's the best ever. So I'm letting them do it and work individually with the clients. So I'm not having to do that at all. But we'll see how that goes. Cool. That yeah. Cool. And then my only other question that I had was, uh, what was my other question? <laughs> you already oh, said you? your only other, by the way. But yeah, I know. This I, is know why, I said I had a couple. Oh, this yeah. is, <laughs> this is, see, it's the same thing. Dan's got all the thoughts in his yeah. head, too. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you purchasing your projects with zoning contingencies or are you buying them without any type of contingency and then hoping for the best? Yeah, I mean, I've done both. I've done both. It's tough because a lot of sellers, 
in the past have wanted just a clean deal. And, you know, they'll be like, nope, we'll just want a clean deal. And I have also approached some people with, you know, some sort of a, you know, to sweeten the pot. You know, if you let me go through zoning, I, you know, and I get X amount, then I'll give you X amount more, blah, blah, blah. I'm still getting a little, you know, some pushback on that. People just want the money and walk away. They don't want to take, they don't want to take the risk with you. They just want the reward, right? So how are you underwriting those deals? Are you making them an offer based on a buy right situation or are you making them an offer based on how many units you think you can get there? How are you, how are you doing that? For the most part, I've, I've been cautious. So like marginal 2.0, there were two lots and they were two three-family lots. So I could get, so they, it was six units, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I got. I mean, you know, we, it's bigger. The FAR is, is bigger, but we weren't doing anything that was beyond, you know. What was quote unquote. Typical for the neighborhood. Yes. So, you know, I kind of, so, you know, yeah, I did go out on a limb. Have you ever gotten less units where you thought you'd get more on a particular project you've underwritten Um, that you haven't done a zoning contingency on? No. Wow. No. Lucky. But I've watched other people's strategy. I mean, I've seen people go in and ask for, you know, some ridiculous amount of units because that's not really what they want. Yeah. Right? And That's a tough strategy. It can definitely backfire too because I've seen folks go in for the Trump Tower knowing that they're going to pull back and offer something more reasonable. But in the interim, they've pissed off everybody. And they've Mm -hmm. really engendered the whole block to come together against your proposal. And you haven't done yourself any favors. So I typically do go in with the approach of, I'll respect your time. Please respect mine. This is actually what I think fits and what's responsible. And um, sometimes I I think people find it refreshing. So for 3.0, we had good support from almost everybody, but there were still a few people that held out against us. And the Jeffreys Point Neighborhood Association voted us down. Oh, you, you know. still got approved by the ZBA. We did. Yeah, yeah. But it was um, it was a heated crowd that night, you know? Like, they were stirred up. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Kate, we'll play a little game here if you'd be up for it. Sure. It's called overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. And we'll just throw out a term or a concept and uh, we'll get your take on on how you feel. Um, so I'll kick it off. How about um, cedar siding? Oh, I think that's overrated. I think a lot of people love it, and it looks so great when it goes on. But boy, does it doesn't wear well, especially on the waterfront. Oh, okay, I like it. <laughs> what would you put in place of it? Well, there are some synthetic products that look similar, but they're pricey. So I'm not really sure off the top of my head. Because it looks so wonderful. I mean, I, I, I agree. But I mean, I go, I, unless it's maintained Bingo. and sealed, you know, annually in some areas. I mean, some areas probably not, but some, it just doesn't look great after a while. Seal it on all six sides before it goes up and install it as a rain screen. So you can allow water to get behind it and drain back and uh, you have a fighting chance. You have a fighting <laughs> chance. All right. Nice. Still need that maintenance though. Uh, pass. <laughs> I'll go, I'll continue in the siding thing. What about hardy siding? I love hardy siding. Yep. I would say appropriately rated if the rating is considered good. Fireplaces. I think everybody wants a fireplace, 
but do they actually use it is my question. Yeah, I think they're overrated. That's what I'm going to say. They take up a wall and that they're a great focal point, but then when you put a TV over them, you're craning your neck to watch the thing. It's true. Um, are, you, are you putting fireplaces in a lot of your developments? Everybody wants one. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the jacuzzi of uh, today's day. <laughs> yeah. Which that would not be mine because I already know the answer there. <laughs> <laughs> it's ve- and venting too is a pain in the ass. I would say like in a brownstone when we, when we have had stacked units, I mean, our vent chase is like, you know, it starts out like this and then at the end, it's like a room, a, si- yeah. a room size of vent chases going up to the roof. Okay. Here's one. Dan's going to love this one. Mini split systems since we're talking about brownstones and limited space. Right, right. I just put a mini split system into my own house. I think with solar panels, it w- it's a great cost-effective system. I'm not 100% sure. Some people that um, I will not name have been very annoyed by my idea of mini split systems in our newest project. So also, I will say that the um, condensers are huge. Oh, really? They're, yeah, they're like five feet tall. Are they really? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're up on these. The, so, uh, the heat exchangers, that, out on the outside? Yeah, yeah. So at my, my place, it's what it's, I have two zones and it's, you know, like 1,200 or, or 1,400 square feet a zone. And I had no idea that the condensers were going to be so tall. I'm coming, I have to come up with some creative screening now. All right, next one, uh, the Avengers. <laughs> Did you see it? No. No, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Marvel fan. So, I was supposed to go with my wife and her friends and I felt like I had never seen any of the others and it was a 3-hour movie. So, I I bailed at the last minute. But I've heard that you can What did you see instead? I stayed home. I think I watched the Bruins game. It's a good trade-off. <laughs> oh my though. goodness. You don't even have kids. I know. Oh, uh, you got to make it out there. But it was the playoffs. Oh, that's true. And I've never seen any Ray of Ray doesn't watch sports. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> I, you know, I came here as a Yankees fan, so I'm just already immediately hated. Oh, just I, lost li- so many I live up in New Hampshire. I mean, why am I even here? You know, yeah, right. right. <laughs> what did you see it then? Was it good? I have not. My wife and I are going um, for Mother's Day, so I was at Whole Foods yesterday, and um, right next to it was the movie theater, and it was letting out, and I could not get out of the parking lot for about an hour. And my son said to me, "Avengers." Yeah, and I was like. So what about black, black windows? I love black windows. Underrated. Underrated? I feel that you're being, everyone's using them though. What? No. Exterior. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. No? I oh. recently had a pro, proviso for a design review uh, that my windows had to be uh, wood or wood clad. Yep. No vinyl, it expressly forbid vinyl windows. We had that too. Mm-hmm. I've never, I hadn't seen that. And but. we've had something where it said the screens have to only be half size. Half, yep, half size. So right, only right. one sash. Where was that? Where did they give you that? East Boston. Visa? Oh, in East Boston. We yeah. had it in Dorchester. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, East Boston and Dorchester are fairly very, yeah, very comparable. So. Yeah, comparable. Cool. so are you using what, like Pella or something like that? I haven't gotten that far yet. I just got my permits. Oh, okay. Well, they're, they're, they're my best cost effective when it comes to that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Check it out. Speakers, uh, in-unit speakers. Oh, Good absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, Is it again, a price point thing? No, it's nope. not. It's, Sound attenuation? It's, so, yeah. So, so in that big Marlboro Street unit, the people that were on the bottom 
decided to rent their unit out to this Spanish exchange student who God, I had to go over there. And so upstairs was the most expensive unit. Um, it was like a $4.2 million unit, okay? He had the bass turned up so loud. The whole place was boom, boom, boom. And, you know, they were calling me, of course. They weren't calling the police. They are calling me. And <laughs> so I went over with my sound guy and um, he had already put soundproofing stuff behind it. But what happened was the speaker was underneath the toilet. Oh. So the toilet was like a conduit. Oh. <laughs> into so it was like coming out of the bowl. Every time the beat drops. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. And this kid, yeah, we came and this kid, he had like no shirt on. He was disheveled and he was had an attitude. And I'm like... Man, can you just like turn your like you're in a, a a place where you're living with other people? Can you turn the music down? And so my sound guy went over and he's like adjusting everything. I think putting he, a governor on it. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. I think he put something so that the bass couldn't go above a certain. So yeah. after that, you don't you do not do in wall speakers on any of your units. I have had issues with the, with the sound and. If I was going to do them, I wouldn't put them in the ceiling. These were in the ceiling. So, you know, you'd, you'd have the yeah. round speaker in the ceiling. Only in the penthouse. Right. And, they go, and otherwise, in the wall. In the wall. Yeah. Exactly. That's your best fighting chance. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm on board with that, but I just think that I just don't like how they look when they're on the wall. Yeah. It's true. It's tough. You know? We need to do it either In the location. I also it's think that's, that speakers are going to be passe. Um, because everyone's got you can, for one hundred and thirty dollars, you get an incredible Sono speaker mm-hmm. that can just sit on a dresser right. or, or a in sound the corner. bar. Yeah, sound, sound bar, a really good sound so bar. Good. If you really want that true like Dolby digital sound, like or you're like a really big into that stuff, then nothing. You still want like all of the speakers. But if stuff. that's the case, the speakers that you're buying on your special <laughs> are also <laughs> not very, sufficient. Yeah. Very, very true. We, but, we have um, 2.0 surround sound. Yeah. <laughs> Stereo. HRV homes. <laughs> so we should do a segment called Either Or in the future because I feel like we could choose the either or going forward as well. Okay. We should try pilot some of that too. My mind's exploding right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, um, all the ideas. This has been awesome. Congrats on yes, um, getting all it through your and getting the foundations in the ground. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. This has it's, been really fun. It's going to be an awesome, you know what, I, I even went on that stupid Godzilla so I could see my project oh, from, the, from the water. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. We, should, we definitely want to come out and check it out once you're framed or as Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be so cool. It's going to have cantilevered the front, the top, the two, like it's going to look like they were they were turned. So they're both cantilevered over each other. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's going to be a cool looking building once it's, awesome. once yeah, it's we're up. Excited. I'm going to check it out from the Godzilla too. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Don't sit in the middle. You get really wet. <laughs> <laughs> the touristy uh, speedboat that goes up and down the harbor there. So. Love it. Godzilla. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done it? Uh, no. But do it I will. Do I'm it not on a warm, warm yeah. day. Should all do it. Field trip. I'm down. We'll wear <laughs> our real, real estate addicts t-shirts. Absolutely. Oh, we have one for you too, Kate. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, thank you. So, um, hey. So, Kate, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, what's the best way? Instagram or? Oh, gosh. No. So, I don't have an Instagram. My my sons actually have um, a website that has a lot of my projects on it. Um, and then you can get in touch with them and they'll call me. PWNdevelopment.com. It's almost, they're almost all my projects. Well, because I've been in business a lot longer than them. Sweet. They're doing some great stuff too. I met them recently. They are. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, seeing what they're up to. 
Yeah, yeah, they are. They're doing they're doing some good stuff in there and they're looking for their next project as well as looking for passive income. Are they using your husband as their GC? No, my son's a GC. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Again, a, a, a couple of uh, boys who said they were never going to get into the family business, <laughs> ever. And how, why were we talking about it all the time? So, so. funny. It's great. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. Everybody else uh, listening here, thanks for tuning in. And thanks for the ratings, the reviews. We've seen a lot of them coming through. We appreciate the love. And we'll talk to you next time. See you next time. See you guys.